Charges laid in the death of a tar sands worker, a cozy relationship between a hydrogen billionaire and a premier, Canada gifts Ukraine an air defense system, and protests in Peru have left at least 17 people dead. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 11th. Here are your headlines for today. This morning, we start with two devastated parents who have found out that the death of their son has resulted in 28 charges against Suncor and Christina River Construction under the Alberta Occupational Health and Safety Act. The worker, Patrick Poitras, is 25 years old, and he died last year when the ice in a frozen tailings pond that he was working on gave way. He was operating a bulldozer at the Suncor base mine just north of Fort McMurray when he fell through the ice. CBC's Wallace Snowden reported that, quote, the case details how companies allegedly failed to properly check the thickness of the ice and ignored previous measurements that showed it was too thin to bear the weight of the machine. Nine of the charges were against Christina River Construction, which is owned by Fort McMurray 468 First Nation, and Suncor is facing 19 charges. Snowden's report features Patrick's devastated parents, whose father, Marcel Poitras, said, Someone didn't do their job, and I lost my son because of that. My son gave his life for that job. This is devastating. These kind of accidents shouldn't happen. So these charges are good news, but probably cold comfort for the Poitras family. Next up, to an article from the National Observer by John Woodside with quite a headline. It reads, a luxury fishing lodge vacation, flights on a private jet, and the close relationship between a premier, town councillors, and a billionaire angling to build a hydrogen plant. The great thing about that headline is it pretty much sums everything up. So we are talking about Stephenville on the west coast of Newfoundland, where John Risley is trying to build a green hydrogen plant. Risley is a billionaire, and he chairs the company World Energy GH2. He has built quite the close relationship with politicians out there, which goes from the town councillors of Stephenville right up to the premier himself. In October, it was reported that Andrew Fury, the premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, went on vacation in 2021 to Rifflin Hitch Lodge, which is owned by Risley. It's a luxury fishing lodge that even has helipads so that people can come in and out on helicopter. Now, Fury didn't go alone. And if you know anything about politics in Newfoundland Labrador, you'll know that certain families dominate the political scene there. And so Andrew Fury, the premier, brought along his dad, George Fury, who's a current senator and the speaker of the Senate. The trip resulted, obviously, in conflict of interest accusations And Andrew Fury denied any wrongdoing. In fact, Woodside reports that Fury made this about a father-son fishing trip, and he's been fishing his whole life before he was premier. He'll fish while he's premier, and he'll fish after he's premier. Now, they're not the only two politicians that are being uh, wooed by Risley. A couple of weeks after the fishing trip was reported, 
CBC reported that town councillors of Stephenville managed to get a ride home from an energy conference in Germany on, oh, Risley's private jet. When CBC talked to Risley, he defended it by claiming that these councillors aren't really politicians at all, but just active volunteers in their community. He said, quote, generally speaking, politicians would not accept an offer for me to fly in my airplane and I generally wouldn't make it. I don't see these folks as being sort of politicians in the general sense of things. These are people who are giving their time to their community. The positions are largely volunteer in nature. Woodside points out that they do come with salaries. They're paid $12,000 annually, which is not nothing, certainly in a small town uh, in Newfoundland. But it's kind of beside the point because Risley needs the support of these councillors if his green hydrogen plant is going to be built in Stephenville at all. It's also worth mentioning that it was Stephenville where Prime Minister Trudeau and Ger- German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced a new alliance between the two countries for hydrogen. Woodside writes, quote, details of the alliance are thin, but the goal is to build a hydrogen market with exports from Canada to Germany starting in 2025. Risley's warning that if Stephenville passes on this opportunity or it takes too long to approve, the market for hydrogen could vanish. Uh, which, I mean, is that how energy works? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Woodside notes that Risley claims that green energy could inject $100 billion worth of projects in Atlantic Canada by 2030. I mean, if you're going to pick a number, you might as well pick a number like $100 billion. That sounds pretty, pretty big. Now to national news, where Canada has just purchased a national advanced surface-to-air missile system, which it intends to donate to Ukraine. In the Ottawa Citizen this morning, a report from David Palazzi details the approximately $406 million donation that Canada is giving alongside the United States. The system protects against drone, missile, and aircraft strikes. And what's interesting about this announcement is that an air defense system is something that the Canadian Army has been trying to procure or that has not had since 2012. The air defense anti-tank system that Canada currently has was implemented in 1989. Palazzi writes that it was purchased to protect bases in Germany attacked by the Russians, but shortly after it was delivered, the Cold War ended and the systems were shipped back to Canada. And since it's, quote, occasionally used for domestic security, including protection for potential air threats during the G8 summit in Alberta. That was in Kananaskis in 2002. Very interesting, first of all, that Canada's using uh, air defense anti-tank systems to protect the G8. That particular summit in Kananaskis, I remember it, and it was so well protected that activists didn't even come close to the meeting. It was held in a park, and so activists were kept quite far away from the actual meeting. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing that these uh, that these pieces of military equipment are being used, I guess, against activists and protesters and average Canadians rather than, you know, like the so-called foreign threats, I guess. But also quite interesting that Canada can go through a process of procuring such a system of 
air defense for another country where it's incapable of doing it for itself. Of course, purchasing it for Ukraine likely means that they don't have to go through the same procurement measures that they otherwise would have to go through to ensure, you know, good contracts and good value for money and no corruption. Um, I imagine Pelezi, who's one of Canada's best military journalists, maybe the best military journalist, is going to stay on top of this issue. And so I hope that you do pay attention to it uh, because if we're not able to do it the way that we would do it for our own military systems, we should be asking a lot of questions about why it's possible then to do it for other countries. And finally, internationally, this morning, let's go to Peru, where a nighttime curfew has been imposed on the people of, in the southern region of Puno after clashes between protesters and police have turned deadly. At least 17 people have been killed of that one police officer. The protests are against the government of President Dina Bularte. She was appointed president in early December by the Congress following the removal and arrest of Pedro Castillo, her predecessor. Castillo was removed from office on December 7th, not long after he announced that he intended to temporarily dissolve Congress and, quote, rule by decree in what he said was an effort to reestablish the rule of law and democracy, as reported by Al Jazeera. Castillo was, was head of a very shaky government where his opposition dominated Congress. These protests are mostly located in rural parts of the country where Castillo had lots of support. Amnesty International is worried about the escalation of violence in Peru and has called it unacceptable quote, state repression against demonstrators and the loss of human lives is exacerbating the crisis. So pay attention to what's going on in Peru as this continues to unfold. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, January 11th. I hope you have a really great day.